Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're hearing from grantmakers on the different types of non-monetary assistance that they provide. We talk about the process for making and tracking this type of assistance, as well as the challenges and ultimately the results. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on October 15th of last year, and the first voice we are going to hear is our webinar moderator, Ashley Harper. So first of all, what type of non-monetary support is your organization providing? Like, what are, what are some examples? My name is Chuck Kowitzel. I work with uh, Whittier Trust, and we provide philanthropic services for a number of different foundations um, and donor-advised funds. Um, and we uh, work with a wide range of nonprofits through these foundations' support. Um, and, but a common theme for many of the smaller ones is the, the need for sort of capacity building. And we identified, uh, and specifically, uh, a lot of it was around f- fundraising. Uh, some of the smaller organizations don't have the capacity or the funding to have a full-time development person. Um, and often somebody's having to wear that hat who doesn't have a lot of formal training. Um, but even at larger organizations who do have existing fundraising groups, um, we came across an organization that provides um, training, essentially, workshops that are focused on uh, helping nonprofits, and actually this organization also works with for-profits, giving them uh, advice and training in how to tell their stories better um, and essentially become more effective fundraisers. Uh, We did, uh, we put together a workshop because this particular organization charges just sort of on a daily basis and so we gathered as many of the nonprofits we work with um, for one particular foundation as we could and I think the initial training session was maybe uh, 100 people from approximately 20 different organizations so they would bring typically they would bring one of their development people if they had one or whoever was wearing that hat perhaps a communications person maybe just the executive director um, they would also bring uh, a board member, um, anyone who needs to sort of spread the story of this organization and why people should be supporting them. And they're all brought together at this workshop, and there's a whole curriculum that they use for helping people be more effective storytellers. And we've now done, uh, I think we're up to about four of them uh, with different foundations. In one case, we did a, uh, an introductory session and, a, and the follow-up sessions. Um, but we found them to be an effective way to provide support in a non-monetary way um, to something that's often a need at at a nonprofit. There's several aspects that are um, beneficial to it. Uh, One is that it's, you're not having to make grants to 10 different organizations. You can make one grant. We typically have supported this um, by getting a venue that's either low cost or donated and then we're just writing the check to the organization that provides the training and we don't have to fund 20 different organizations we can provide this training to them through the the storytelling organization Um, so that's what we've done 
and it's been, you know, all of the grantees have said it's been extremely helpful to them. Um, and we've seen, you know, some of their fundraising materials did uh, seem to do a better job of telling their stories. And they tell us that, you know, not just the things we've seen have been improved, but what they get out there to their other donors has, has improved. Thank you. That's that's fantastic. Did you say you'd kind of determined that need from applications or were people asking for this? Um, I think it was a combination of things. Uh, it came about from a few specific grantees who just um, voiced the need to sort of have improved, you know, better fundraising methods. We also saw it in the materials we were getting had a wide range of quality and we could see that they needed help even if they maybe didn't know it um, and we just knew from going through this uh, we were exposed to this organization that helps people tell their stories um, through and you know one of our vice presidents participated in a workshop and saw how effective it was and just thought you know this would really be ideal for many of our nonprofit organizations that we work with and just yeah pitched it to them, first to the board of the, one of the foundations, and then when we asked if the nonprofits were interested, they definitely were. And, and all the feedback we've gotten has been very positive. That's great. Thank you. So it's Melissa Bemmel. We're a small family foundation, and I wouldn't say this is something that we're doing formally. We're just now starting to think about how to kind of grapple with this question. Um, but we're doing a lot of, especially for smaller organizations and individuals, relationship connection and um, sort of capacity building in terms of we fund in a really specific sector and each of our board members has uh, a lot of experience in, you know, one area or another. And so they're able to offer a lot of advice and um instruction and relationship building for organizations as they're thinking about either growing or ramping up. Excellent. That's nice that your board is involved. Yeah. I mean, we're such a small foundation that it's really just the board and me. So <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we don't have a choice on that, but, but because of that, you know, because we're a small family foundation, you know, everyone is in, integrally involved in all processes. So. Hey guys, this is Kelly Duhon. I work for Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Louisiana. So we do um, a few different in-kind things for nonprofits. We have our own print shop. Um, and so we do in-kind printing for nonprofits. That's always um, something that we get back on our survey saying that printing costs have gotten very high for nonprofits. We also um, in-kind any office equipment that um, we would normally, you know, donate. So we always in-kind that to nonprofits who might need it. Um, we also have a pro bono um, service program. So we have attorneys, um, we have graphic designers, we have um, translators on staff. And so we uh, pro bono those services to the nonprofits depending on what their needs are. So they usually apply. Um, twice a year to us and we select about four to five each um, each I guess uh, time that we do it our employees also get um, gift cards for Christmas and so they will 
donate them back to our community relations and foundation. And then we will in turn in kind those gift cards to different nonprofits, depending on what their needs are for to pay for food or supplies and those kinds of things. Um, and also just recently, we um, funded the Louisiana Association of Nonprofit Organizations. Um, they did a disaster continuity of operations planning with about 40 nonprofits. So that was a free training that we did. Wow, that's, that's quite a variety. So you have a formal process of, of an application process? Yes. Okay. That's really interesting. Hi, I'm Rachel Kizilevich with the Los Alamos Community Foundation in northern New Mexico. Um, we are a, a pretty nascent community foundation in year four, and so we're working on growing our asset size and letting our endowments mature to a point of being ready for payout. So um, it's another situation where it's just me and the board. And so we have really offered a, um, tried to offer a lot of non-monetary things to our local nonprofit community sort of in the interim. Uh, we do a nonprofit training program where we do capacity building workshops and then we hold an executive director roundtable for um, heads of nonprofits and we also subsidize some um, um, grant making or grant writing services and things like that for organizations. Those are the main things that we focus on. That's fantastic and a really good point about the money not just not being there right now so those are good good options one thing i'll add if i can is that we're, we're exploring a model and i don't know if folks are um how familiar with it they might be or if anybody is doing this but uh like a, a something coming out of the social venture partner world which is um a funding model that looks more like providing grants that are for longer periods of time than just a year something around th the three-year mark and then someone from the uh, organ foundation gets a, a seat on the organization's board and then helps to helps that organization solve one of its key capacity building problems. So you would take on a grantee uh, that has a problem kind of in line with your foundation's areas of expertise. And if it's around, let's say, financial management, um, you would attempt to kind of, you know, the, the person who sits on their board would pull in their contacts and really help that nonprofit fundamentally solve its problem in addition to providing the funding assistance. And so we're just looking at that kind of thing as to whether or not that might be a, a fit. But I think it's an interesting idea to explore when we talk about um, non-monetary options. Yeah, I agree. Maybe somebody on the call is uh, further into that work. Hi, yeah. So I'm, my name is Jamie Pardo. I'm with the REI Co-op. Uh, we're the nation's largest consumer cooperative. So 75% of our profits are returned to the community through uh, member dividends, employee profit sharing, and grants, and community investment. Um, my role specifically is a, as a, um, a grant coordinator for our grant program, which is about a $7 million, $7 million program with over 350 partners. Um, we're kind of in a unique situation where we are an outdoor recreation uh, retailer. So a lot of our in-kind giving um, is through product donations. So that $7 million is, is strictly cash. And then on top of that, we have uh, gear donations. We also donate marketing support, um, convening sessions. Um, and so we're just looking at how to be better stewards of tracking those uh, additional investments into our, in our partners. Yeah, I, I used to just kind of think of the community foundation space as the conveners, um, but it sounds like a lot of different types of funders are doing that work. 
Hi everyone, I'm Andrea Garvey. I am with the Shop Foundation for Public Education based in Quincy, Massachusetts. Uh, we're a public charity grant maker. Uh, we primarily do re-grants from um, other larger foundations um, and we support a lot of very small grassroots organizations um, around the country who are um, seeking to improve public schools in their communities. Um, so we provide a lot of extra supports um, in addition to our grant making. Um, everything that we do um, on top of the money goes along with a monetary grant. We don't make um, grants that are strictly um, non-monetary assistance at this time. Um, so we provide extra support for our grantees around um, philanthropic leveraging, helping them to get more money, um, communication supports, um, network building, and then connecting them to policy experts um, working in the field that um, their particular area of public education. Um, so um, similar to some of the other folks, we've done you know, fundraising trainings and convenings to help um, introduce them to funders. Uh, we also do just some manual tracking of um, those relationships that we help um, to foster between um, grantees and other funders. Um, for instance, the last fiscal year, we um, helped to leverage about one and a half million dollars for our grantees on top of the 1.6 million that we awarded um, ourselves. And then we also track um, our communication supports um, that we provide. Uh, we are fortunate enough to have a communications director who is also a graphic designer by training, and he does a lot of um, coaching um, with our grantees around design, developing infographics, um, helping them to get their website set up, connecting them to web developers. Um, we posted some grantees email lists within our email database before when there was a need for that. Um, so just a lot of different types of um, kind of coaching and support. And we've had really great feedback from our grantees about this. Um, we have a, a section of our application where um, we have some question branching and it, um, it breaks out the different types of support that grantees are looking for and, um, and that we can assess how we're able to support them. Fantastic, thank you. Um, so we'll, we'll keep talking. I think we're kind of covering the gamut here. So this is not necessarily, it has to be broken up into these various topics, but um, so a lot of you have said, you know, we're making these as, as add-ons, um, we're seeing the need and, and just addressing it without necessarily a formalized process. Um, so I, I am interested in, even if you don't have a formalized process, um, for some of these, like Melissa, you were talking about your board interactions with um, different applicants. How, how do you track that or do you? Um. So this is Melissa again. Hey, Melissa. We're not tracking it. And so that's something that we're really interested in seeing, you know, what other people are doing and kind of, you know, having some process around that. So it's one of the main reasons why I'm here is to see what everyone is saying. <laughs> I was going to share um, for our tracking process, um, we had to kind of work backwards and um, go to marketing and, and pull um, all of the costs that they incur for, you know, social media posts, because um, uh, that's typically how we're supporting our partners is through additional social media posts or toolkits we provide for them. Um, and so we had to kind of break it down dollar by dollar and then kind of create like an a la carte menu of when we are providing something we can start to look at, you know, how that plays in in terms of cost of support. Um, the other thing is because we have a product line, we have our inventory accounting team pull the cost of all the products. And so as we donate things, we can, we can match up what we're um, donating. Uh, but 
I guess my question is a little bit of it. It's hard for us to to figure out like what the ethics are around in kind. Uh, you know, we do a lot of cash donations, and it feels it's hard for us to step away from doing as much in cash and, and adding the in kind value in, and like what that balance looks like. Um, because while we know that um, organizations need some help with capacity building, we also know cash is king. Um, and so, just kind of if there's like a rule of thumb out there that people have. Or, you know, maybe if they're doing all in-kind grants or they're doing a mixture of cash and in-kind, um, if it's just part of a partnership plan, um, those are some of the, the thoughts I have around, like, we kind of have an idea of how to track it, um, but we're just like, what are the ethics around, you know, adding this in-kind donation to, as saying like, oh, we're going to take $3,000 cash away because we're doing all this other work. Um, that's kind of something that we're, we're, we don't understand how that works quite yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, and we can also hear, you know, from you uh, really on any of these different kind of questions, but um, it sounds so far like everyone has had an excellent response from both their funding partners and the nonprofit community. So I, I'm, I imagine there have maybe been some challenges. Uh, well, and what might those have been? Did you get any pushback as you were considering um, this type of support? I'm calling from the Pollination Project, um, and we do a lot of work with uh, very early stage grantees. So people who are usually within the first year or so of their project starting, um, extremely grassroots. And we kind of learned about the, the non-monetary needs of our grantees, both by surveying them and by also working with teams of regional leaders. So we have, a, for instance, a team of of grantees in East Africa who work with us to provide support and network building to grantees in that region through mentoring and training. Um, one thing that we've really found useful, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping back a little bit to, to answer these questions, I wasn't quite sure which point. No, that's at. fine. It's a conversation. You know, because of the early stage, we, we heard from our um, team in East Africa, a lot of people that were applying were people who'd applied previously and they just hadn't seen that the projects had kind of reached a point where financial resources were necessary. And these people were clearly committed and passionate, but they were reapplying time and time again. And so our team sort of said to us, well, what can we do that goes beyond money? And so now we're working with a, an application process in which people can either receive funding directly, meaning you know, that our team on the ground review the applications and provide a grant, or they, um, the grantees are awarded what we call mentoring grants, where they receive intensive one-to-one -one coaching, or sometimes coaching from several members of our team um, and other nonprofit professionals, for, for probably three, three or so months, in order to ensure that their proposal is ready for funding, and to ensure that once the funding is released, they have the capacity to actually use those funds. Um, so one of the things that we do with tracking is we're not so interested in the, uh, the financial value of the services we're offering. Um, although we do offer, you know, webinars, Q&A sessions, we've done sort of pro bono graphic design, which is available to our grantees. Um, we host a lot of kind of community groups. Um, we provide training grants to grantees in California. So if they become part of our program, we, each, we award them a fund of up to $600 that they can use to take on trainings that they ident identify within their communities that are useful to them. But what we're really interested in tracking is what is the level of participation of grantees in these programs? 
what kind of outcomes do we see associated with that, both in terms of direct measurable results in their work and also their level of confidence in engaging in community, um, in applying for other grants, because we sort of support them in applying to other funders. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's easy for us to track those results, <clears throat> though we do quantify when they're able to obtain funding from partners and similar, you know, similar sort of more measurable financial kind of assistance. And we just simply add that as a note in our CRM and we report on it every, every month or so just to get a sense of what's going on. But I think um, one thing with these non-financial resources is, you know, is that question of, is it more important to track the kind of value if you convert in-kind or non-monetary into currency or what other dynamics are there that you should be tracking in order to understand success? And I'd really love to know what other people are doing, you know, in that respect. Yeah, that's a very good point. Okay, Does anyone else have comments on, on that? Hi. Yep, I was just going to share that uh, a learning for us around the nonprofit training programs um, was that we were having people come in, speakers come in for an hour on a capacity building topic, kind of lecturing on it, and, and then that was the close of the session. Um, we, we piloted a different program, which we got a lot of positive feedback on, and it's informing kind of the way we change our structure going forward, which is that it wasn't quite interactive enough for people. They weren't taking that much away from it. So now we've built it around more of a multi-hour workshop where, um, and, and we ask organizations to come with more than one person from their organization, whether it's a board member and staff or multiple staff, so that they can take the learning home and then really have time to dive in during the working session. And that for us has been, uh, it's gotten higher higher reviews and I think is being met with more positively because the learning is a little more tangible, but we are struggling a little bit with kind of the exact way to measure um, measure what people are learning or measure what they're actually getting out of it. So we're going to be, we're listening in today for, for those kinds of ideas too. So thank you. Yeah, I'm sure that, you know, that, that feedback from the grantees or the applicants, the nonprofits to whom these, services and workshops are being provided, that's, you know, that's a start. That's a lot of tracking it. But then I would imagine that they may be able to help the funders, you know, come up with, with outcome measures and come up with ways to, you know, determine what are, what are, the, what are the lessons learned? What can we be tracking? Um, so I'm, I would imagine that the grantees can provide a lot of that information. Um, so as I mentioned, we don't have to, you know, go in, in order here. Um, if anyone else has some questions or comments just about this topic in general, we'd love to hear from you. I was just going to say that one of the things we do is in our semi-annual reports, we actually ask our grantees what additional support they'd like from our foundation. So we're another small family foundation that's uh, me and the board. Um, but we do say to them, you know, beyond the grant, what, what do you need of us? Um, and so we're also a faith-based organization. So many of it is just requests for, you know, please be, please be praying for us or please come to an event or please help us make us connections or could you give us feedback on, you know, the application we did, which we actually offer formal feedback and other sort of sit down, come and meet us in person or meet us by Zoom kind of um, conversation with them if they'd like to after the process, whether they're successful or not, as a way to help them improve in the future. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we don't track any of that particularly rigorously, but we do a quick summary of all of our non-monetary support at the end of the year and in a report that we do for anybody else that's made a contribution to the foundation and to our board. So I sort of keep a very high level checklist. We don't track anything about impact outcomes, leverage, but we do say, you know, we did X, Y, Z this year. Um, we occasionally get stories back, but we don't ask for it. So we're certainly very much in a stage of, is this something we would formalize? Would this be, you know, sort of a, a more formal service or offering of ours? And what does that process look like in terms of, is there an application process? Do we track it and how? So it sounds like we're kind of right in the mix with everyone else, but that's what we do. Great. Thank you. It's always good to be, to have that sort of listening and, and feedback loop built in to your process. This is Kelly Duhon uh, with Blue Cross in Louisiana. So um, for our pro bono um, application, we do run into some challenges. Um, We send out um, a reminder to all of our nonprofits to apply for funding um, in the pro bono project. But like I said earlier, we normally typically select about five four or five every, like twice a year, but we get over 80 applications twice a year. So our biggest challenge is trying to select the ones that are most important, but also to let other businesses and other community entities know what the needs are for the nonprofit. So we're trying to work through that right now. Um, We do have a formal process for applying for, um, in-kind printing and um, so they just fill out an application we have an uploaded spec sheet of you know what they need and that kind of stuff and then we send it over to our print shop they send us a quote and then we either approve or decline it so that's a pretty simple process yeah thank you it's very inspiring to hear about the types of relationships that you're making with your grantees and the the way that you're listening to what's needed my coffee is is cold at this point i didn't i didn't sip any of it so hopefully you all got a little little recharge there and um thank you again for joining and i hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your week so that was our conversation we're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundin Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Foundin Technologies, Thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 